Hello and welcome to On Mic with Jordan Rich. I want to say thank you for so many of you who have connected with us and we have listeners all over the world. Please, if you get a chance, review the podcast, rate it, and do subscribe. Today, I'm talking with Judith Kalaora. She's a talented actress, writer, director, and voiceover artist. For the last several years, she has created something very special called History at Play, dramatic living history performances that bring to life the stories of influential and maybe at times forgotten women. History at Play has really taken off with Judith and her troupe performing throughout the nation. We'll talk in more detail about the characters and the individual shows that she's produced. I thought, though, a little audio taste of her work in character would be in order. Here she is in Tinseltown Inventor, the most beautiful woman in the world. She brings to life the incredibly beautiful and super intelligent Hedy Lamar. I knew that the idea was born. I thought it could be called frequency hopping, and it would allow a transponder and a receiver to communicate with one another simultaneously and always changing. There would never be an opportunity to jam the signal. Here's Judith as the first teacher in space, Krista McAuliffe, from her show Challenger Soaring with Krista McAuliffe. As a teacher, I am called upon daily to communicate clearly to young people on many different levels. Heterogeneous classes require a variety of understandable directions, lectures, and classroom assignments. I have to communicate my knowledge, my skills, and a sense of discipline in order to create a well-ordered... Judith Kalaora once again with an excerpt from World War Women, the unsung heroes of World War II. This is unacceptable. You're telling me now, now that the Allies are gaining ground, now the instructors from the civilian pilot training program want to take over all the WASP flying jobs. Oh no, those boys gratefully accepted their exemption from combat authority. Let's now meet the very talented Judith Kalaora. Well, let me say at the outset, I'm very proud of my next guest because I've known my next guest for quite a while, had the pleasure of working with her years, years ago, although she's just a sprite, when we talked about the voiceover world and you got into that and did very well and continue to. But uh, Judith, it's great to see you and we're going to talk all about what you're up to now. Well, it's great to see you too, Jordan. Thank you for having me. You know, when I sit down with you, I'm thinking of all the characters that you're bringing to life these days. And before we get into history of play, which I mentioned in the introduction, Let's take it back a step or two and talk about the young Judith and her aspiration. Yeah, the young Judith. I think I'm still the young Judith. Um, so I started out acting when I was about eight years old mm-hmm. and really knew that it was something that I was going to explore. Caught the acting bug, so to speak. Uh, studied at Syracuse University, Bachelor of Fine Arts, studied in London, classical acting, and then came back to Boston, which is where I'm from, and, and began working as a historical interpreter, um, walking uh, Boston's legendary Freedom Trail, doing doing tours and teaching folks about the American Revolution here and how it started. And, and that was when I suddenly realized that there was something more because I came into the world of performance, meaning I graduated from college when we were in that whole reality TV Mm. phase, which is very, um, uh, it's very, it jades you very quickly as a performer when you've been trained really well and you want to get these really meaty, um, substantial roles. And then instead you're trying out to be naked on an island somewhere, you know what (laughs) I mean? It just sort of doesn't quite match in your head. And I got really jaded really quickly. And this historical, um, education that I started to do made me think that there was something more. I was portraying a woman named Deborah Sampson, 
when I was giving these uh, educational tours and people of all ages, people of both genders, people from various countries kept coming up to me and saying, I want to know more about this woman, this woman, Deborah Sampson, who portrayed a man and fought in the American military. She fought in the Continental Army as a male soldier. So the first woman to Mm -hmm. do so. Mm And so I said, you know what? The world is handing me a giant you know, opportunity here on a silver platter. People always said, if you want to make it in the world of performance, you got to do your own thing. You got to find your own niche. Mm. And I said, people said, you got to write your own story. I said, who wants to hear about me? I'm a, you know, a 22-year-old kid. I'm just, in, you know, I don't know anything. But suddenly I realized it didn't need to be my own story. It just needed to be a story that was mine, something mm. that I took ownership of. And I found that Deborah, Sam- Deborah Sampson was a story that I could take ownership of. She had come from a similar area than, than I, than, as well as where I grew up. And I had always had a really big um, fascination with military history. My father is a, is a history buff. And I was a tomboy growing up. I, I did martial arts. I was always a fighter. And I th- said, you know, this is someone who I can relate to. So I wrote this one-woman performance about Deborah Sampson, and I started touring it. And uh, actually, we have a mutual friend who helped me to get a lot of my – Pardon me. A lot of my initial bookings. Mm-hmm. We have a mutual friend who helped to get me a lot of uh, my initial bookings in the senior residence communities. And um, I started touring this show and people loved it. And from there, everywhere I went, people just said, who else do you portray? And I suddenly I said, I don't portray anyone else. <laughs> it's time to come up with <laughs> It's time some. to come up with more. So this is how History of Play was born, was, you know, finding these women who have these really incredible stories. They did really influential things, and yet they didn't get credit for it during mm. their lives. And so the slogan of History of Play is influential and often forgotten. Mm. Um, and we do focus on women's history. Well, what's interesting about your work is that you really are a historian. This is not just uh, a play that, that comes to you. You've got to formulate the the background and history because in many of your performances, if not all, there's Q&A with the audience, right? Uh, it's required. required. And it's something that I feel very strongly about. I come also from a Chautauqua background. And if you're not familiar with Chautauqua, Chautauqua started in Chautauqua, New York. It was essentially like a, an adult summer camp. It was very popular oh, yeah. in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And they did kind of like dirty dancing. They're kind of at a Chautauqua camp where they are learning how to do different types of dance and they're learning how to do different arts and crafts. But nowadays, Chautauqua focuses on historical education. Mm. So when you go to a Chautauqua, which there are all over the United States of America, you get to meet living and his, living historians who are portraying and telling the stories of various figures from the past, and Q&A is mandatory. And you answer the mm. questions as the historical figure, and then you switch over right. and you answer the questions as yourself, how you created the program. When I'm watching you and, and researching you, I can't help but think of the joy I had as a young guy watching some of our greatest actors doing the one-man or one-woman shows. Yeah, and yeah. I, I mean, I'll go back all the way to James Whitmore as Harry Truman, certainly Mark Twain, Hal Holbrook. People yes, love that. Yeah, of and, and that became – I think Hal Holbrook kicked it all off. And, so. and that became a real hot deal in the 70s and 80s. And then yeah. it sort of petered out a little bit. To me, it's, it's incredibly interesting to watch one person envelop a character yeah. and, and own the stage. And that's what you're doing with these remarkable women. It's, it's really a nice throwback for me. I, I, I appreciate hearing that. I remember the first um, solo performance that I saw. I believe it was at Syracuse Stage while I was a Syracuse University student. And it was um, Yogi Berra. And now I'm going to blank on the Ben Gazzara. Ben Gazzara. I interviewed Thank Ben Gazzara, one of my favorite actors. And I remember he did the one man 
Ken show. I that remember was it. that. And I, yep. if I could have had an opportunity to meet Ben before he passed away, I mm-hmm. would have absolutely told him, like, this is your doing. <laughs> wow. Isn't that interesting how yeah. that uh, stayed with you? Well, let's talk about the various characters and the fact that, A, you've got the physicality down. And that's not just costuming, but also the way you carry yourself. We'll talk about some of them in particular. And B, the voice is very important. Mm-hmm. You already mentioned Samson, who's a great example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'd like to start with one of Hollywood's most revered starlets who really had a more of a story, and that's oh, Hedy Lamarr. Yeah. yeah, I can absolutely. What, what drew you to Hedy Lamarr? Was it the story <laughs> about her inventing something important? or? Oh, well, actually, I didn't know that story. Um, my sister was, we were at Thanksgiving dinner, and my sister, who is very, very smart, but not as into history as I am, said, hey, Judith, do you always have to portray people who lived a really long time ago? Can't you portray someone more recent? And I said, well, of course, who do you have in mind? And she said, Hedy Lamar." And I said, Headley. Yeah, you went right to the Blazing Saddles <laughs> Which, of course, she sued Mel Brooks for that. Yes. And asked permission. Still the you, funniest it, bit. It, absolutely. And I had portrayed Hedy LaRue in How to Succeed in Business Without oh, Really Trying course, yeah. at Framingham High School when I was you know, a high school student. So all I knew was this caricature, you know, this 36, 24, 36 kind of caricature, which wasn't even Hedy to begin with. Mm. But um, when I went home that evening after after Thanksgiving dinner, I looked her up and I said, how do we not know this? This mm-hmm. was 2011, mm-hmm. 2000, yeah, 2011. Um, and I spent the next year uh, putting together a program and I, I do, debuted that program in um, October of 2013. Um, so it was when all was said and done, about a year and a half of research, reading every book, which there weren't a lot. Did you watch her films as well? I watched all of her films, yeah. all of them, which she tries to flatten her act. You know, she has this um, – I'll try to do a little bit. She she flattens her accent a lot in her films, but um, let me – she she has this very um you know Viennese Austrian accent and yeah. it's very singsongy and so yeah. then she talks it's quite different depending on what you are listening to her if you <laughs> if you are listening to her giving an interview as herself she has this very nice light and airy accent if you are listening to her in the films she tries to flatten out mm. her accent more per the request of MGM um, but then she speaks in German it is very guttural and then she mm. speaks in English it is much more sing song I, I teased it and I, I didn't mean to just throw it away but of course the, the news about her helping the war effort with the radar uh, oh absolutely yeah uh, invention or development is huge and and it was and she didn't get the credit for it which is really the unfair thing yeah people <laughs> and people still argue about whether she copied it yeah let's get it straight Nikola Tesla is the first person to really work with radio frequencies in the way that she is expounding upon these radio frequencies she is however utilizing this technology that was understood in a different, very specific way where it is being used for military use. And during World War II, the Navy had a branch called the United States Inventors Council because they were at their wits end. Hitler was coming up with all of these new creations, these new, I mean, literally when they went to the United States to say, can you make a tank? You know, these United States uh, vehicle manufacturer says, sure, we can make a tank. What's a tank? What's a tank? Well, the V2 rockets and <laughs> and and uh, even technology that was that was aimed at developing the atomic bomb. All of this 
is going on and we're so many paces behind, behind but yeah. she comes along and is is a cog in the wheel that's very important. I think part of it was because her first marriage to Fritz Mandel, he was a munition supplier for for the Nazis, for the um, for the Heimwehr, which is the Austrian mm. Home Guard, for the Mussolini, and she was sitting at the dinner table listening to these guys, and none of these guys thought that she was anything more than a pretty face. Meanwhile, her father had taught her how machines worked when she was a child. She used to take apart her toys, like her music boxes, just to see how they functioned. She dropped out of school when she was sixteen, but she had a naturally technological mind, and she was mm. absorbing this information. Was she spying in some ways? Yes, she was spying. She was listening at the dinner table, and then using that information against them. But in, in many ways, they didn't even understand how to perfect what they were working on. They knew their tor torpedoes were not efficient, were often um, being thrown off course, were being um, detonated before they had hit their targets. She just decided she wanted to perfect something that she already knew was something that was viable but hadn't been perfected so yet. what you're doing in your performance is telling the story through her words and her action, but you're doing more than that. You're developing a character who is fleshed out real. Of course. Because especially in Hollywood, I mean, the characters are two-dimensional. Yeah. And and uh, that's what has gotten you a lot of fabulous reviews. I think it's that I don't I don't do a it's not like hi my name is Hedy Lamar I was born in Vienna in 1914 right. you know a lot of living historians stand up there and they give you the the chronology of the life you I mean you're experiencing her life at the same time she's experiencing mm. her life and I don't tell I don't say anything during my performance that Hedy wouldn't say to a crowd herself and yeah. if I do say something I literally like when I talk about how she escaped from Europe, I say, you know, I, I, I trusted some very po po powerful people and I can't tell you their names today, even though you're my friends, because I fear for their safety. Let me ask you, before we talk about some of the other tour de force characters here, one in particular, about the audiences and how they've evolved and who you're performing for. Because as you mentioned, you started out with a very uh, stable audience in the senior circuit, and I still work that audience. They're the best audiences. Yeah, me too. But you've expanded. You're you're doing corporate. You're doing. Talk a yeah. little bit about uh, where you are with this thing. Now. Yeah. So we do a lot of um, programs for universities, for museums, for libraries, um, presidential libraries, um, historical societies, places of worship. Uh, we we tour a lot. We do a lot of nonprofits. Uh, so I mean, I would love to be doing more corporate work and more for-profit work. But mm. it, if I, they haven't quite caught on yet with how not only educational it is, but how um, it creates a camar camaraderie across the audience. So it's really a ha unique experience. Have you dabbled in the idea of taking one of these and creating a full-length sort of staged version of a one-woman show? For instance, Hedy Lamarr would be a fascinating character. I remember seeing uh, the great Christopher Plummer as John Barrymore about mm -hmm. 20 years ago and just absolutely blew us away. But, I mean, there are so many aspects to what you're doing. I mean, I could see this going to the legitimate Broadway stage yeah. at some point. I mean, we have performed. I mean, you know, we have done our – one of our programs was on 42nd Street. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, we were selected as part of the United Solo Theater Festival uh, for solo performance. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, these are vi very viable programs for being uh, off-Broadway and on-Broadway. Um, you know, right now I think, you know, we are still in the – like John Leguizamo is phenomenal yes. with solo shows. Yes, yes. And so he's really, um, you know, one of the few performers that's been able to uh, – 
sort of jump over the chasm between, you know, bringing solo performance to the full Broadway stage. Mm. Um, I'm not opposed to taking these programs and making them full ensemble programs where we have more than one actor. However, the formula, the formulaic pattern that has worked thus far for history at play is these solo performances because we can tour with them so much more easily. And there are for nonprofits, they're so much more economically feasible. And, you know, because that has been the sustaining demographic that we are reaching as these non the nonprofit sector, it's um, we do have two programs that are ensemble programs. One's based on the characters and plot of Downton Abbey. And one is called the House of Hancock, which is kind of, it's based on the Hamilton musical, but it is instead of focusing on Alexander Hamilton and his family and his colleagues, John Hancock and his wife Dorothy and their mm. colleagues. But it does follow a very similar and, and that's starting to do very well as well because it does take a little bit more time for a program or a company that's been so grounded in solo work to start to broaden out into ensemble work. Let's talk, Judith, about the World War II yes. treatment uh, because – what what we discussed with Hedy Lamar is true in, in, in the giant scope of World War II. There are so many stories that continue to be told. Just a few podcasts ago, I had a friend of mine, historian and writer, Rick Beyer, who wrote The Ghost Army and did a movie about The Ghost Army. Just one aspect, and you can go back and listen, folks, if you want. But there really are so many wonderful stories, and women played such an important role during the war. People think about women in World War II as nurses and Rosie the Riveter, right? These uh, women ordinance workers. And it is just scratching the surface. Uh, It's amazing how much I was able to discover, not by doing a whole lot of intensive research, just taking a moment to look. You know, the women, the uh, British intelligence, which is called SOE, the Special Operations Executive, was run by a woman named Vera Atkins. Uh, She wasn't the only person running it, but she was one of the main players. And she was a Romanian-born Jew who had emigrated to England. I mean, talk about really, Mm. you know, taking a, you know, starting from something and building something different. And she had a very important personal stake in there, too. A very important personal stake. And, you know, there's a a great book, um, Spy Mistress, that's uh, written about her. But, you know, more so when you really look at just what she went through to get where she was. And then Virginia Hall, one of the other women portrayed in this World War Women program, is the first female agent sent into France, which was obviously uh, being occupied partially Mm. by the Nazis. And then Vichy, which was the independent, which was they were a puppet government. And um, so Virginia, you know, she's one of the first women who goes into this very dangerous territory. SOE specifically selected women because they knew the Nazis would not expect women to be working in the resistance as spies. Mm -hmm. And Virginia has at one point over 1,500 men under her command. And she literally meets these French resistance fighters and she says, listen, this is what it's going to be. Do you have a problem taking orders from a woman? If you do, leave now and I will not hold it against you. But I am the leader of this of this." this circuit. And if you want to join us, and it was the Heckler circuit. And then uh, later on, she went back um, under American intelligence, OSS, the Office of Strategic Services. And she had thousands of men under her command. And what we don't realize is D-Day was not just the men storming the beaches in Normandy. These French, uh, these FFI, French forces of the interior, were literally demolishing anything that was useful or important to the Nazis from within France. Mm. At the same time, railroad tracks, petroleum stations, telecommunication stations, roads, bridges, all of these demolitions were happening simultaneously, and Virginia Hall was one of the ones in charge of that. I love the fact that uh, you're incorporating video, as you say, in this presentation, yeah. uh, which is 
impressive in its own, but you're able to then showcase various characters. You're alone on stage, right? Yeah. yeah. But you're talking to, well, you as another <laughs> character on screen and making the experience seem as though you're you're among several colleagues. That's really cool. It's amazing because we do have communication that occurs between these women. And um, it would have been, you know, Morse code on a wireless uh, uh, oper- a wireless radio set would have been operating. Um, but now I can take these conversations that we know happened either through Morse code or through, uh, you know, telegrams, and I can actually turn them into real scenes just like we do right. in dramati- dramatizations of movies. And it fleshes out the characters so much more and brings a dynamic of they have a relationship with one another. Mm. You know, it wasn't just a spy being sent into France. She has a relationship with the folks in London who she's taking orders from. There is, when they tell her to leave France, she says, no, I have so many loose ends. I have hundreds of people who are working for me and don't have knowledge of the details Mm. of the mission. If I disappear now and they're captured... They could, and they were. Unfortunately, the butcher of Lyon does capture many of these people who were working for the French resistance, and they tortured them. They tore out their nails. They, they, you know, and they didn't say anything about Virginia Hall. They didn't know her real name. Um, they knew her as Brigitte, Brigitte Le Contre or Germaine. Um, those were her nom de guerre. Mm. But they don't, you know, they don't say anything about her, even though they know she has something to do with it. It's incredible absolutely incredible. Story. We were talking a few moments ago about characters that are more sort of present day. And the one that, of course, you do that is, I think, packed with more emotion because we all live through it, those of us old enough, is Krista McAuliffe the first teacher in space or who would have been the first teacher in space. And I mean, uh, you and I are, I lived in Framingham. You grew up there in Framingham, Massachusetts, where the Krista McAuliffe library exists because she had a very strong connection there, obviously, and she, New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. But um, talk about how you stage this because it's really interesting. And uh, then I'll ask you about the voice, but let's talk about the staging of this. I think with, uh, with Krista McAuliffe, it was important that I respect her, family and her friends. And since she is such a recent historical figure, you know, I know a lot of the people who she knew growing up or that she knew in her adult life. Um, some of my teachers were very close with her family in, you know, in Framingham. And they specifically um, wanted me to not do a program about her death. There were so many programs, there's so many films, TV specials, some very poorly made, Mm. that are about her death. But her death is not what touched people. It's her life that touched people. People were inspired by her. What we remember is the Challenger exploding. But that wasn't what tied us to Krista McAuliffe. You know, she was very, very, very um, advanced in terms of her ideas of education. She was an uh, an experiential teacher. She brought her students on field trips when it wasn't popular Mm. to do that. Mm -hmm. She brought guest speakers into their classroom. She has this great story. She brought in a a used car salesman because she wanted her students to know how they were going to be scammed when they bought their (laughs) first car. Well, he was a lucky gent, wasn't he? (laughs) You know, and she does this. And this is what connects her. This is why she's selected. And so it was really important when I created this program to move through her life. And by moving through her life, you are growing up with her. Now, what we know is the time period that Krista grew up, she was born in 48. 
It's a very tumultuous time in American history. Oh, yes, of course. Very tumultuous. The Vietnam War, the assassination of uh, Martin Luther King Jr., Bobby Kennedy, Kent State National Guard kills four students at Kent State when they're protesting. You know, this is the civil rights movement in its prime. She is a active member of that time period. She is an active member of that movement. And when you are going through her life, even if you didn't live through that, I didn't live through the 60s. But I can experience it with mm. her because I have we have images, we have sound clips. We whenever I can bring in real images from the government archives, from you know, um, from you know, sources that I can pull from that are educational resources. I'm going to do that because if you didn't live through it, if you are in sixth grade watching this program. Then you do need that. You yeah. do need that to yeah. understand, and, and it's available. So why it not is, use right? it to, to your extent? And there's something about the way you stage this and the way you tell the story. We know what happened. Everyone knows what happened, but it's a it's a terrific look at the person. And that's what an homage to a human being should be. It shouldn't be about one incident or it should be about their life and, and the difference they made. Exactly. But it's 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 very at the same time, it's it's an emotional experience for the audience, isn't it, it? It's a psychological phenomenon. The Challenger Challenger tragedy is one of only a few events in recent history that is globally remembered. If you talk to people in Russia and Israel and China and you say, do you remember when the, that space shuttle blew up when it was trying to land? They do remember it. They might not remember the name Krista McAuliffe, but then they'll say, oh, teacher, the teacher, the teacher yes. woman, the teacher woman. Yes. They remember. Now, there's only a few other instances where this has occurred. September 11th, the assassination of John F. Kennedy, mm -hmm. and then before that, it's Pearl Harbor. Yeah, those those would be the the milestone moments, and most of them are tragic moments where everyone can tell you where they were, right? What they were that's, doing. That's that's the thing. Well, it's a, it's a terrific performance that uh, indicates to me that you not only have a concept of the history, but a concept of the humanity, which is so important when you're theatrical uh, performing. Yeah, I remember. I mean, I'm a historian by by love and I am yeah. a um, I'm an actress by love but also by training. And so having been trained, having found that method acting was the style that I was drawn to most. When we talk about method acting, you know, we think of people like Heath Ledger and Christopher um uh, Batman, Christopher, uh, no, Bale. Uh, oh, Christian Bale. Christian Bale. Yes, Thank you. Definitely. Right. Um, these are like people who get into the character. They yes. get into the me. I always think of Kathy Bates as well when oh, I think of um, gosh, like misery. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but these are people who get into the flesh of the of the person. And if you are going to do a historical portrayal that is remembered and that is talked about, you have to be a method. So final point or question, you must have a notebook, either virtual or real. I still handwrite things okay. when I'm doing research. <laughs> I'm just guessing. I may be totally wrong that there are a list. There is a list of names, potentials. And do people even suggest some? Always. I bet they do. So without tipping your hat, I mean, do you have that list cooking in your head all oh, the time yeah. about who because oh, there are yeah. so many potentials yeah. right oh yeah my next program which i just started talking about at q a's um which will debut um in 2022 and i know that's far out but there is a reason why okay. is princess diana you know as you were mentioning moments milestone moments that people remember that's one that people remember 1997 mm -hmm. and, and i remember yeah. because i was in my 
infancy at uh, WBZ Radio as a talk show host. And it was live, you know, it happened a quarter to midnight. I was going on, and I'll never forget that night how it changed my thinking in terms of what people were dealing with. But yeah, that's, that's, so you're going to portray Diana. Yeah. I've wow. wanted to for years. I mean, she's been, always been one of my greatest role models. Let me backtrack. I meant to bring this up when you talked about Krista McAuliffe. I was particularly impressed with your use of her accent, <laughs> which is New England. It's yeah. New Hampshire and it's Western but it's definitely, Yeah, it's definitely like Metro, Boston, yeah. New Hampshire. <laughs> and that's particularly interesting because most actors in Hollywood can't really nail it, can't get it right. We know that, right? It's, it's <laughs> almost a cliche. But you are from here. Whatever accent you might have had, you you lost on purpose in Syracuse training. Yes. But uh, how did you recapture that that accent so perfectly? I listened to every um, interview, every okay. TV broadcast. Another thing we're fortunate with Hetty um, and with Krista, I have, and even with World War Women, you know, there are a lot of the women, like I heard oral histories of some of the sure. women that I was portraying. Mm. So if I have, all I need is one sentence. If I listen oh. to them for hours and hours, I have to listen to them for hours and hours and hours. But then all I need is one trigger sentence. And that one trigger sentence gets me into the into the um, voice. So with Krista, you know, when she was selected, when when they were in the White House and, and at that time it was Vice President Bush, um, he sele selected, he read out Krista's name. She walks up to the podium and she said, um, <laughs> let me see if I can do it right now. Um, it's not often that a teacher's at a loss for words. I know my students wouldn't think so. I've made nine wonderful friends over the last two weeks. And when that shuttle goes, there might be one body, but there's going to be 10 souls that I'm taking with me. Thank you. Wow. I just noticed one particular word that was perfect. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm being a little little nitpicky only because I'm from here yeah. and I know, I know the accent as well as anybody because I have it yeah. uh, on occasion. But that's brilliant, beautifully done. And, and so uh, real. I think – Acting for me, uh, when I watch good acting, I know that there's a certain element of truth in it. I, that sounds like a cliche too, but there's got to be that sense of truth, understanding who you're portraying mm -hmm. and portraying that person honestly. And you do that now with this wonderful history at play brilliantly. So Thank you. Thank you. And I, I'm, I'm very proud of I'm very. I'm, I feel I'm very fortunate. I've worked really hard, but I also came in. Um, this co this company was was birthed at a time when the feminist movement was was resurging, and mm. so um, you know I wouldn't I wouldn't go stating you know that I'm an uh, you know we say these I'm a, an, an ist you know a feminist right, or right. I wouldn't necessarily have said you know in 2008 2009 when I was starting to conceive of this idea that I was a feminist, but how can I not be you know because now I know so much more about the history of women's rights, about the history of women's oppression, um, I, I can't help but bring a huge amount of myself and my heart and my emotion into it. I am a, a, an emotional person by mm. nature. I think that's what many good actors are. And well, so I've harnessed that. It's finally come to pass that we have uh, in Hollywood female women directors who are winning Academy Awards who are uh, you know directing Marvel movies for the first time? Yeah. It's it's all these these ceilings that are being cracked, yeah, which is yeah. which is good. And you're doing a fabulous job. So 
as people uh, read about you at historyatplay.com, yes. they can also discuss booking you. Yes. And you do travel and you do have a, a full schedule, but put the plug in. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we travel nationwide. Um, I, I try to do as many of the performances as I can. We do have other troop members that perform for us. However, if you are interested in having, we have six solo performances that run in repertory. Deborah Sampson, Lucy Stone, Hedy Lamar, The World War Women, uh, Krista McAuliffe, uh, Rachel Revere, Paul Revere's wife. We have ensemble programming. They complement anything. Women's History Month is March. You know, major historic events that you can link to these to these various things, Pearl Harbor Day, um, so on and so mm. forth, you know, Inventor's Day, you know, anything you want, you can link this. This is the way to complement some celebration or some event that you're having at your workplace, you're having at your school, you're bringing your students in to experience complementary um, curriculum material or educational material. This is how to really bring life to history. Well, as I say in many of these podcasts, uh, the joy of sitting down with creative people is my personal joy and I can't be happier to know that this is going so well for you. I knew you when. Oh, I knew thank you. When. you. And you'll Judith, know me and you'll know me still. Judith Kalaora is a delight but also a very talented and very smart lady doing great things at History of Play. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. Appreciate it. This is Jordan thanking you for listening to On Mike with Jordan Rich, available on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and of course, Android. Appreciate you subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing this podcast if you get a chance. On Mike is produced at Chark Productions in Boston. Until next time, be well so you can do good.